Are you working? What kind of work do you do? Another episode of Sweat Equity. Yeah, we're back. back. Yep. Um, one, we got to say thank you to everybody that's dropping reviews and you know giving us five star reviews on Apple, Spotify, leaving comments like that shit means a lot, and it's helping us a lot. It's helping us climb the ranks. Pods are hard to grow, so gaining that traction early has just been it's been great. Yeah, it's it's the first time I've ever appreciated how much that actually matters. Like one five star review literally will boost us in the algorithm so much. Yeah fun little nugget for the listeners like most podcasts are actually discovered through search so you know any sort of little boost in the algorithm does actually influence your growth like the reason all these youtubers make sure to end all of their videos like that yeah. is because it makes such a tangible difference so yeah but that being said i think we got a really jam-packed schedule uh i'm stoked to some of these topics you got on the dock are just wild same. I saw what you were uh, kind of brainstorming and talking about with this, the Nintendo Wii. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious just to, for you to go down that rabbit hole. For sure. But what I got on, on today's uh, agenda is, so the first thing is, this guy wrote a really good thread. He owns the fourth largest uh, Midas auto repair franchise in the country. Mm. And they're going to spend 700000 on direct mail in 2024. And he's saying that's going to yield $13 million in revenue. Wow. And as us, like we've been in performance marketing, we understand like, Getting it 2x ROAS on TikTok or Facebook's like sweet. Yeah, you know, gold like, mine. This is like, 19. Scale, scale, this, scale. Yeah, this is 19x. So I'm gonna break down his playbook because he he dropped it all on Twitter. Fire. The other thing that uh, I'm gonna talk about is our friend Jake, mm. and he started a company called Date Night Kitchen. Or it's it's really a, a it's a TikTok and an Instagram channel, and this actually happened because one he texted us, left a five star review, and dropped a bunch of comments, and so we were like, hey, we're gonna talk about if we were you, like. This is how we'd build your media company. This is how we'd monetize. But um, Jake, he three, four months ago, he started a TikTok um, account, dude. And he's grown to 500,000 plus, like yeah. very fast. And mm-hmm. on Instagram, it's like 130 something thousand, 137,000. And I want to share with him, like if I'm you, this is how I'm monetizing. This is how I'm turning this into a $10 million company. Something beautiful about him that I'm really excited to watch is his growth as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I was talking to him at your meetup and I couldn't help but think, wow, this guy doesn't even know what he's sitting on because he basically goes to me, dude, I have the viral heat button. I can go viral on command on TikTok. I just That's don't so know how sick. to monetize. Yeah. And I'm like, brother, you've already done the hard part. Yeah. Like, this is it, you know? Yeah. Like, you you know how to create a story that sells. You just haven't figured out how to ask people for the sale yet, yeah. um, which, you know. He has an eight-figure company at his fingertips. Right. Like, legitimately, uh, if, yeah. he, if he does a few things and I outlined a, a lot of it, I think he has a an eight-figure company that exactly. he can grow. Yeah, still at his day job too, which I, I thought was, that. yeah, I, I know. And I imagine having a 500K uh, audience on any platform and like still wanting to, you know, crunch some numbers on the spreadsheets. Like he's, he's sitting on gold and I can't wait to like kind of dish yeah, on that. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. So on my end, I uh, can't wait to tell a story about the we. I think a lot of times in today's market, it's really important to differentiate yourself. There's so much copycat yeah. stuff going on out there. And, you know, Nintendo is just an unbelievable example of what it looks like to innovate and zig when everyone else is zagging. Um, so the we was kind of how they started on that path. Um, and then also I want to talk, we're going to workshop, uh, you know, how to innovate on form factor. So, you know, again, this is kind of 
how do you put a spin on something that already exists yeah. to that match where current consumer preferences are? So a lot of people are searching for, you know, anything that is positively impacting the environment, anything that maybe have a social cause that they want to support. Those products ultimately are getting a lot more attention and awareness from consumers these days. And a lot of companies are, you know, doing that well. They're, they're putting that spin on their own product. So we're going to brainstorm you know, some different categories that you might be able to actually put that spin on. And when you talk about form factor to give context to anybody listening, you're referring to like how the, the it's actually packaged. So right. for example, like midday squares is owning the chocolate square versus right. Hershey's Reese's, owning the bar. Yeah. Reese's yes. form factor is the peanut butter yeah. cup, right? Like they own that image in every consumer's mind. Yeah. And so yeah, let's get into it. I want to learn how to direct mail build a local services business here. Dude, so, okay, there's this guy, Brian Beers, and he put out this Twitter thread and it's, yeah, it's, it's saying he's gonna spend 700 million in direct mail in 2024 and it's gonna yield 13 million in revenue. And they're the, so they're the fourth largest um, Midas auto repair franchise in the country. They did 42 million in revenue in 2023. Damn. And what he's saying is like, direct mail has always been this there. This is one location? I don't know. I think this is the 33 locations is, okay. is my guess. Gotcha. But they did 42 million in revenue still. Like that is a massive business. And for their local marketing strategy, it's there. It has always been direct mail. Like that has always been their their biggest thing. And the, the thing that's yielded the highest return. I mean, 19x return, that is, that is not small, right? Yeah. So what is this playbook? First thing is it starts with the facts. People are lazy. People don't want to drive five hours to get their car fixed, right? Like it's Saturday, I'm trying to go to Starbucks and I'm going to dread getting my tires fixed or, you know, my car inspected, whatever it is. I don't want to drive far. Like right. this is something that I'm hoping gets done in 30 minutes. It's realistically going to get done in an hour. So I'm trying to be, go there and come home very fast. So they know this and they know the data, which is they don't drive outside of one mile to get their car repaired. Interesting. So like that is the data that they're, or it could be work from where they live or where they work. So yep. one mile from, from that radius. Makes sense. And so because of that, that makes direct mail very, it just makes it a very Potent. powerful yeah. tool. Yeah. You, for, you know for the zip business. codes that you're hitting. You, you don't have to overspend yes. either. I think, you know, over allocating resources towards marketing is the death of a lot of businesses because you got to target properly. So how do they pick who they mail? So the first is for each location, all those uh, 33 locations, they get a zip code map, mm -hmm. right? With that zip code map, they find 5,000 single family homes and they mail them every single month. And they're picking mail routes that are in a one to two mile radius of that location. So if it's a highly urban location, they're very selective with their routes, making sure that they're picking the right people. If it's a suburban location, they're blanketing the whole uh, the whole area. So how do they determine an ROI? So they do, every quarter they do a matchback. A matchback mm -hmm. is they look at the customer invoices and they look at the people that they mailed and they, right. they just match the addresses to the invoices. And so the best locations generate $40 in sales for every dollar spent. And the worst is they generate $8 for every $1 spent. There's really two things that make this an effective channel for them. And you got to nail these two things. So the first one it's probably something most people overlook and that, that is you got to have great artwork. Yeah. Think about actual mail. And, and when you go pick up mail, you usually dump the night, like 95% of it. And you're only looking for the 5% that you're actually looking for, whether that's something yeah. that you ordered or something that you know is going to be in there. So how do you do, how do you create artwork? How do you uh, use artwork to actually get someone's attention? Something mm -hmm. that 
has always worked for me is when things look like they're personally written for me. Yes. Um, hundred percent. Cause, and there's brands that, that have sent me stuff like that and not as in like an influencer package more so just to get your attention. Yeah. Just to get yeah. my attention and it works. There's it's, a lot of, a lot of companies, uh, you know, a lot of these, like when, when your LLC is registered to your home address, you get a lot of mail from loan companies and they always say important financial information inside for, you know, Brian Bloom or Alex yeah. Garcia. And naturally your curiosity is like, damn, did someone send me money? A lot of people probably discount like direct mail is, you know, kind of like a batch and blast approach. Just send out your offer, QR code and see what happens. Yeah. But incorporating those performance marketing things, such as making sure there's a strong hook and making that hook super visual, you know, yeah. I, it feels like that's an opportunity. Right? Huge opportunity. Because you can stand out so much easier there. Huge versus, opportunity. You know, a Facebook ad is so, so saturated these days with great hooks. Dude, your competition is like 10 other pieces of mail. Yeah. Eight other pieces of mail. And like a lookbook. Where, yeah. Whereas yeah. a Facebook ad, it's you're seeing thousands of pieces of right. content. People are so you don't even know how many pieces of content. You wiping. save something on Instagram and you never really go back to it, right? Like <laughs> it's that, crazy. You are competing against so much content with mail. You have to compete against like this shitty envelope that's, you know, yeah, over the top of you. So no, the hundred percent. The second uh, aspect of of this that makes it effective is going back to performance marketing. It has to have a great offer. Mm. So you can't just say twenty percent off or five percent off. Like that's just not going to get anybody in the door. So they take it a step further and they they say they run very aggressive offers. Things such as buy one oil change, get one free. Wow. Buy three tires, get one free. Up to $100 off brakes, free inspections, right? So like they're really taking what they would do. Think about it. What you would do on Facebook, because mm -hmm. on Facebook, you could be like, okay, here's our location. We're going to run a one mile radius. We're going to create this video ad. Yeah. We're going to have this offer, this landing page. Here's how you get it. It's going to be sent via email. Instead, they're just like, okay, you know what? They live here let's just send it the offer to their house. Like, yeah. let's get it in their hands and make them aware of it. And then be able to just, that's very similar to performance marketing. Like they have a great offer. They do all these things, but they're able to track it. They just, it, it probably takes a, I, I looked at a comment where he said, it's a huge Excel sheet and it's very manual. And I'm sure that's a pain in the ass, but I would love to spend $700,000 on something and generate $13 million on a return. Any day, any day. I, I wonder um, with the offer stuff too, I wonder if that's because once I'd love to see any data they shared on LTV, lifetime value of a customer, because yeah. if they're giving away such a strong offer up front is the thought that once you go to an auto shop, you're pretty locked into that auto shop from there on out. Anytime you have an oil change, that's where you're going to go. Anytime you have a tire issue, anytime you have any sort of like mundane thing you can fix, you probably are going to the same one. It's trusted. Yeah. You know what you're going to get. There's a little bit of rapport. Yeah. So, and you're, for me, a lot of the time, it's the booking process even. I, I, I don't want to search and go through another booking yeah. process. I love just like knowing what I'm going to get, filling out my information. Hopefully, my information's on file. You know? I mean, I wonder if they, do they incorporate any sort of like, you know, keeping your login information or anything like that? Because yeah. that's another thing that's really been getting to me recently is a lot of companies will have, you know, a digital presence and maybe it's something that you could potentially sign up for on mobile and they don't have Apple Pay enabled yeah. or these basic things that can really reduce friction in the checkout process. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting that they've kind of leveraged direct mail. They'll drive that much traffic. But it's crazy. I wonder how much more of the business could be influenced by, 
you know, traditional D to C kind of like performance marketing yeah. uh, tactics. But this, so this got my wheels spinning of, okay, if what other products or yeah, what other products can you kind of leverage this for? And this is me just brainstorming, but if, what if like my product was at HEB? Mm -hmm. Would I do direct mail at one mile radius? Like you're going to only travel specifically like somewhere in Austin, you're only going to travel like a mile, two miles to go to the HEB or the Randalls yeah. or whatever. Right. If your product was in HEB and you were having a special offer in HEB, would you then like, would you do direct mail that even a drive awareness to make them aware of it? Yeah. Three to then get them to bite off the shelves. Cause I think you could do this with, with if your product is in, in HEB or Home Depot or Whole like Foods, any of those whatever. kinds of companies yeah. or uh, brands where they distribute a bunch of products, like direct mail could probably be very effective and very cheap. For sure. I think so. A lot of, uh, a lot of CPG brands do leverage this. So they'll send out a survey and say, like, where do you shop? You know, where they'll try and get as much information about where they live, zip code, down to that. Yeah. And then they'll run a concurrent direct mail campaign. So, a company that does this really well is called Postpilot. Yeah. Um, those guys crush and it's a lot of direct response stuff, but it is also a lot of like geo-targeted. Nice. And the crazy thing is I'm pretty sure, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I know with direct mail, you can get a little better demographic information rather than Facebook and TikTok have obviously been shielded by iOS yeah. in the last couple of years. Apple's new privacy laws make it hard for Facebook to target. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure Postpilot not like circumvents any, they don't do anything wrong, but I think they have access to better, more concrete demographic information based on zip codes. Yeah, and You mean, have household income and average sure. income and like occupations in that area, which can definitely be really valuable for brands that are potentially upmarket yeah. or have a super specific kind of customer segment. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Well, shout out to them. I mean, dude, killing it. It got my, you know, anytime I read something like this, it gets my wheels spinning of what can I do for marketing exam? And is there a play there? Yeah. I don't know if there is yet, but yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to see if like I could I could think of something over the holidays. But yeah. what you got with this Wii? So the Wii. For if, context, I I played the Wii for the first time uh two, three weeks ago. For, like a, yeah, I, dude, I didn't play video games growing up. Like Damn, you were outside. Like, it was like I told you in the last episode, actually, only ever played like NBA 2K or Madden or uh NCAA when the homies like would come over and we'd play. But other than that, it was never something like, oh, I can't wait to get the new get this new game or the right. Wii or this new console. Right. Um, I played so, like Wii Tennis or something recently. So what got my wheel spinning on this was I was actually chatting with a Gen Z founder the other day. She's 22 and not into sports, anything like that. And she told me that she had had a Wii, but not a GameCube. Like this all stemmed from she didn't even know what a GameCube was. The GameCube being the predecessor to the Wii. Yeah. Um, but she owned a Wii. And it got me thinking, man, this thing must have penetrated so deep into that. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> I had to get you back. I had to get you back. No. Gus uh, hates us today, bro. We were a pain in the ass today. The Wii had achieved something that not a lot of consoles have ever been able to do, which is escape just gamers as a customer segment. Yeah. So how did they do that? Well, I would actually like to argue that the Wii was the most differentiated product like the last 20 years. So... In the early 2000s, everything about gaming consoles was about computation power and graphics and online gaming. 
the GameCube had none of those. It was significantly inferior on graphics, on you know horsepower, everything that it could do. And Nintendo recognized this as a reason why they were losing that battle. So instead of trying to catch up to the Xbox and to PlayStation, they said, you know, we want to have a broader appeal because we feel like gaming itself is actually becoming too exclusive. There's a lot of families out there that would entertain this sort of way of interacting with their kids or playing together, but they don't necessarily want to play Call of Duty online yeah. all the time. So enter the Wii, right? The president of Nintendo at the time directed the company to avoid competing with Microsoft and Sony and focus on novel gameplay. Mm. So the Wii, for anyone that's not familiar, was heavily based on motion capture technology. Yeah. It was supposed to be billed as kind of an active way of playing video games. Obviously, Wii Sports was kind of the leader there. Wii Sports came with every single Wii, play Wii Baseball, Wii Tennis, and you're like waving the controller around. Another cool, fun little nugget was uh, the inspiration for the means of gameplay was actually the legendary game Dance Dance Revolution. So Dance Dance Revolution was an arcade game yeah. where people were, you know, two-stepping their way to a high score. And like, it was super interactive and had nothing to do with analogs or, you know, pressing buttons, yeah. right? And so they wanted to kind of create something that had a similar level of activity, but not smashing buttons and combos and stuff like that. They wanted to create a product that appealed to mothers specifically. Mm. So they wanted moms to be playing with their kids here. Hence why they wanted it to be super approachable. The, the characters were pretty cute. They weren't necessarily, you know, this super graphic forward. They were almost cartoonish. And it allowed them to bridge into the family in a way that the other consoles had not been able to do. Um, some crazy stats about what was going on at the time. So... Uh, it was insanely difficult to get a Wii in 2006 or 2007, strictly because the launch of the product had gone so much better than they thought. So Nintendo was making around a million of these a month. Um, they were making that many. But at its peak, they were selling 350K. So they outpaced their own demand by like 500,000 wow. units per month. Uh, and that 350K per week that they were selling was as many Xbox 360s as Microsoft was selling per month. So they were four times as big as the Xbox during the time, became the must-have gift for anyone, you know, with kids age five to 10. And it just goes to show Nintendo is a company that, you know, everyone understands they're a juggernaut, that they've done some amazing things. And like, what can you learn from them is they focus on innovation and differentiation at all times. Yeah. Like they had previously released the Nintendo DS which was a dual screen with a touchscreen handheld console that frankly, you know, reinvented the space itself. It was super innovative. It's very eye-catching. Um, that was one of the best-selling consoles of all time. And they followed it up with actually what is now the best-selling console of all time for its time frame, which is the Nintendo Switch. Mm. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Switch, but it's basically, it could be a handheld held, or it could plug into a yeah. TV. It has dual purpose there. Um, they own three of the top four selling game consoles of all time. And it's all due to this idea that when other companies are going to zig, we're going to zag. Yeah, I love this. And it instantly gets me thinking about, so with PlayStation, with Xbox, they are all competing with, is it the best game? Is it the best graphics? Is it the best horsepower? And Nintendo really leaned into, is it the best experience? And right. is it an experience that a lot of people can 
can partake in. Right. And to my initial thought was when you were talking about it, it's almost like they brought Dave and Buster's into your living room. Yeah, exactly. Right? And Vanessa and I, like, we do love to go to Dave and Buster's, right? And just like compete against each other and and have that element where we get to play video games, but it's not one-sided. Yeah. Right? Like if for some reason she's going to play Call of Duty with me or basketball or whatever it is, it's just like, it's not the same. Usually if I play Madden, I'm playing with another friend who loves football. Um, but with this, it's like, it is like bringing that arcade game and that arcade feel of like the nostalgia. Um, why can I say that right now? <laughs> nostalgia? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, bringing, dude, this is the episode. <laughs> it's like bringing that nostalgic feel of going to the arcade when you were a kid and getting to be a kid and then putting yeah. it in your living room. Yeah. And, and what's crazy is they expanded the total available market of video games yeah. with this strategy. That was all I could think about when this founder said, you know, I don't even know what the game, what she, her specific question was, what is the GameCube? And I was like, that's a crazy thing to say, Yeah. first of all. But then second, she was like, I had a Wii, but what was a GameCube? And it's like, she was fully unaware, yeah. you know, that that was Nintendo's previous console, any of the history of the market, but it was still something that was in her home when she was a kid because her parents got sold on the marketing of it. There was such crazy word of mouth. You know, people were like, oh, this is going to be something fun for my family. At the same time, a couple of things happened that I think are lessons for people. And that's, so PlayStation and Sony and Microsoft, who make the PlayStation and the Xbox, they both tried to copy this motion capture uh, gaming concept with their own product releases in the following years. Both failed miserably. Yeah. Uh, Xbox had like the View um, or the Connect. Xbox had the Connect and then PlayStation had the View and both just completely flopped, right? Because if I'm going to play motion capture games, I'm going to get a Wii. You're going um, to whoever was like first to market. Right. right? And, and so... Interestingly, though, it's forgotten, but Nintendo actually did the same thing. They released the Wii U in 2012, and the Wii U was supposed to be a better graphics, more online gameplay, like a lot of you know what the things Xbox, that it lacked previously. Yeah. Complete flop. Yeah. Meanwhile, people are still buying Wiis today, yeah. even though they released a second generation of the console in 2012. Wow. Um, so super interesting. I, I think the lesson there is like, you know. Don't be afraid to completely look at your market and just reimagine what the experience could be, right? I think Tesla obviously did this. Um, there's plenty of other examples where it sounds crazy at the time. And by you know aiming for a novel experience, you actually might expand who is available to be your customer and create a smash hit. I think this is the perfect bridge for form factor and yeah. what we got there because... In some ways, the Wii taps into that and, and it's in a completely different experience. But other novelty uh, products were, for example, like the Motorola Razr. Yeah. All the phones were like bulky and thick and just a, a, a pain in the ass, right, to carry. And then Motorola Razr comes along and it's like, we have this very thin phone. And it was almost like the coolest phone to have when right. you were in middle school and high school. And it was just such a different experience. And then the iPhone was that too. And so was the iPod. Yeah. Right. Where you were logging around this, um, the CD player or cassette player. And then Steve Jobs comes along. It's like, hey, we're going to put a thousand songs in your pocket. And it's yeah. going to be this tiny little thing. Or it's going to be, you know, this tiny thing. And then the iPhone too. Like the iPhone, the problem with that, that he wanted to fix was you look at a Blackberry and it was like your thumbs 
and the, this keyboard, they just do not mesh. Like these, these keys are tiny. It's so small. Yeah, these keys are tiny. You're going to fuck up everything you're saying. Right. The screen's this small and your thumbs are this big. Dude, the BlackBerry was the ultimate status symbol back in the day. It was. Though. It yeah, was. like That thing was clean. You knew you, were, you had a business if like you had a BlackBerry. Yeah. Or BlackBerry. you were like, or you were like texting in middle school, yeah. you know, like yeah. you, you had people to talk to, even yeah. though you're like 13. And so Steve Jobs comes around. I was like, we're going to have everything on this screen. The whole phone is going to be a screen. Yeah. Um, so there is this, this idea of just looking at the marketing and be like, what, what is it that everybody's doing? What's everybody replicating? Like, what is that 3% change? What is that, that change that we can do that completely changes the market just yeah. by creating novelty? Dude. And I think, you know, to, to pivot into the form factor conversation, yeah. one of my favorite guys recently that has done this is, is Dan McCormick with Create Gummies. Yeah. So we covered him in the, in the newsletter, in the D2C newsletter. And one of our better received newsletters of the year because the way that this guy reverse engineered his product decision was amazing, yeah. right? So he, he looks at creatine, which is not necessarily... I mean, the science is starting to be pretty conclusive that it's good for you when you're weight training and has a lot of other health benefits to, you know, I, I'm not fully sure. It used to be kind of taboo or It was. It was like, it's going to affect your kidney. It's going to affect your liver. If you're under 20, you know, 20, yeah, 30, like, like you should not have it. the same class of things as like, you yeah. know, the deer antler spray or like all sorts yeah. of random shit like that. And so, you know, this taboo product, which definitely skewed very heavily male. Yeah. And he decided to put into a friendly D2C brand in a form factor that had not really been done in the space, which was gummies. Typically, creatine was consumed with a powder, but he put it into gummies, made it this delicious orange flavor. And all of a sudden, he's got a product that's appealing. His customer base was like 60, 40 women. And you know, there's not a lot of protein or supplement brands that can boast that, right? And so by, by being able to you know, innovate on form factor to take something that was, you know, in, de in demand. Creatine is exploding. The science is starting to get really good for it, but package it in a more deliverable, approachable way. He expanded that TAM, yeah. right? He was able to reach a new customer segment. Um, a lot of companies doing this these days. I think, uh, you know, the one that stemmed for me that I really wanted to talk about this was these guys over at Legendary Foods. Um, so, Legendary Foods is uh they're a crazy company like they they're creating the mm. uh the protein pastry um now they're you're creating the protein pastry and it's basically like a pop tart it looks like a pop tart yeah but it's got like 20 grams of protein it's equivalent all of the actual nutrition facts are the same as a protein bar so anyone who might have stumbled upon the benefits of protein to their diet whether that's men or women and they just don't like protein bars. Maybe yeah. they were forced to take them back in the day. They never found the right flavor. Well, here, now it's kind of like a delivery system you're familiar with, which is the Pop-Tart. And it's also, it tastes pretty good, but super healthy for you and helps you get that yeah. protein. What's crazy about this is it was uh, founded by this guy, Ron, uh, I think it's Penna. I don't think it's Pena, but Ron Penna. He actually was the same guy who founded Quest Nutrition. Mm. So Quest Nutrition, for those who aren't familiar, is another protein snack brand who created protein potato chips and protein cookies. And like they started with protein bars, but they started to launch more things that could be in your pantry. They were big for, they were the, the first brand to be able to leverage it. I think it was like uh, being able to say that they only have four grams of like net carbs. 
Yeah, I think it was it, that brand yeah, where exactly. Yeah, they said because I don't want to. I'm not. I don't have the science behind it because of like the fiber and X Y Z. This only really has four grams of carbs or four grams of net carbs. Net like carbs. They were one of the first to kind of pioneer that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so there's actually um, there's another local company that is doing this. It's this guy uh, Jason Carp. So he started this company called Human Co. And Human Co. is really interesting because he's taking a uh, hedge fund approach to better for you CPG, consumer packaged goods. So Jason formerly was the founder of Hue Chocolates and restaurant. It was a restaurant in New York. It was super high end. Um, they had you know a, a tagline said their products were all ultra simple. So it had no emulsifiers, no you know high fructose corn syrup, all all sorts of things that kind of make a product super better, healthy for you. Uh, he's on the board of True Food. You know this guy's had a really successful career. And what Human Code does is they incubate brands that are innovating on form factor. So uh, for example, one of their brands is called Snow Days and it's a better for you pizza rolls brand. Mm. And so I'm really interested in this space. I wonder like, how is it going to evolve over time where, you know, are people willing to make that taste for ingredient trade-off? And is that going to allow these businesses to kind of reach that type of scale that you need to actually make the impact they're trying to? It's super interesting. So like the the two companies that come to my mind um, off this conversation is one Nespresso. Yeah. So just like the idea of the pod right. is a typical way of, of brewing coffee. And then they come along and they create the pod. And the pod's actually been, according to Google, the coffee pod market started with Nespresso, which launched in 1986. I don't know if you knew that. I, I thought it was a 2000 kind of thing. 100%. That's, that's I, 100%. Crazy. So this one blew my mind. Another stat that is wild, and again, this this goes back to if you can change the form factor, that there is uh, around 14 billion Nespresso capsules sold every year. Damn. Which is a wild stat. <laughs> That's insane. Um, and then somebody else has kind of changed, again, adding the form factor layer to coffee is cometeer. Yeah. Right? Where there's the regular way of brewing coffee, and there's drip coffee, and there's the Nespresso pods. And then they're now doing it where it's like, it's coffee, but it's frozen. It's in your freezer. And the best coffee that you can brew comes from your freezer. So it's like, they're completely changing how you can make coffee. And it's a completely different experience. But it's it's fascinating that you can create your own market by just creating, or by just altering the form factor. Dude, what's crazy about form factor is I think there's a few ways that you can choose how to innovate. Um, And what are those core things to look at is number one would be environmental. So are you helping with the global supply chain and reducing water consumption? Are you reducing pollution? Like there's some way to, you know, orient your story around that as your, as your core principle of why you created that company. You can also do that with societal stuff. You know, like I think there's a really good opportunity for people to make running shoes that don't use, you know, child labor or, you know, something like that. And that is a mission where, a lot of the things we talk about are positioning and yeah. you know how do you position yourself as the good guy in the story against some big bad evil right you want to go after somebody big shoes and big apparel is a crazy consumption industry from like a raw materials like there's a lot of pollution a lot of water consumption and they leverage child labor in these third world countries it's well known it's joked about but 
you know, no one's really like coming after them in that way. So, and that, that was Allbirds entire thing. Allbirds, right. when they started, they were like, we were trying to be the anti Nike, everything Nike does. We're trying to do opposite, right? Right. They're launching shoes every single day. We're going to launch one shoe and it's going to be made of three or four materials. Like right. their whole goal was to do that. Have they done that? They did it with one product, I think, and then they kind of lost that way. But yeah. no, I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. Other pro tip: make sure your stuff is just gas. Yeah, like you can't can't come with some weak sauce if you're gonna hire dogs. Nike. Yeah, if hire there's dogs. anything we learned from the feedback, yeah, <laughs> you gotta <laughs> hire, hire some, dogs. Hire some dogs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's that, and then you know the other thing, like like what Quest and and Legend, Legendary did yeah. is make something that is very. Uh, contemporary and well-known to people gives them a sense of nostalgia. Maybe they're used to it, but put that better for you twist on it, right? This has kind of been the whole D to C industry over the last like 10 years is okay. You know, you like cereal. Well, cereal is bad for you. So I made a protein cereal and it worked. It worked for a lot of these brands. I don't think that that's a bad formula just because some of these folks didn't necessarily make it. I think maybe they set unrealistic growth expectations and raised too much capital and that's what happened. But they were probably fantastic businesses. And ultimately, dude, if you're selling like $100 million of cereal, people want your stuff. It's just, did you have to increase prices because you raised too much money to meet a certain growth target and like meet a new valuation in two years? Like that can cripple your business. Yeah. But, you know, steadily growing around that positioning of like, this is a better for you, uh, you know, chocolate or whatever it is, is, is definitely a good method. Somebody that's done a great job of, of altering the form factor, then also positioning it well is cane footwear. Yeah. They got essentially a croc. Yeah. Right. And they altered it just enough where it looks sporty. It looks a little bit athletic. Right. And now, and, and they say that there's all this tech behind it and we did a bunch of research. We worked with a doctor and literally that, Crocs always in sport mode was like, yes. I'm sure that was yeah. like their first meeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Crocs, but in sport mode. Like, yeah. And and so Kane Footwear has felt like it's come out of nowhere and exploded in the last two years because they've created essentially Crocs, but for recovery. And they they essentially label it um or they position it as a recovery shoe. So instead of you just wearing a croc to lounge around the house or go to the mall, it's like anytime you're stepping in our shoes as an athlete, you're recovering. Yeah. And guess what? You spend all day in shoes. Like most people do not walk, even walk around the crib right. barefoot. Right. So instead, if you're an athlete, you feel like you're recovering if you're just in your canes. They also did such a great job of working with athletes yeah. and universities to show the shoes on these guys' yeah. feet to the point where if I'm an aspiring athlete, I'm looking at who's wearing canes thinking, what are these guys these guys clearly know more than I do. Yeah. Why do they trust this brand? I probably should too. Low key, one, this hot take, but someone that's amazing with altering form factor is Kanye West. Mm. Yeah, with think like about, Yeezy. Think about the Yeezy. Think mm -hmm. about the foam runners and think about Yeezy slides. Yeah. The hottest slide as an athlete, and you and I both know this, was the old Nike slides that were just the black slide with the the white Nike on it. If you were an right. athlete, you wore that with two socks, like two yeah. the two layered socks. Yeah. And like that was the hottest thing. And then Kanye West comes out with the Yeezy slide. That like slide a bigger, does, bulkier. Yes, that yeah. slide doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah. Like people don't, you don't see people wearing that. Right. Um, and the same thing happened with the foam runner. Like the foam runner is completely altered mm -hmm. in comparison to a shoe. Um, and they're hits. I mean, they're absolute hits. I mean, and, and if you could, layer like if you could if you could really alter that form factor and figure out like what that twist is 
and then position it correctly, like a cane footwear did, like Kanye did. I mean, it's there's there's money to be made for sure, and it, and it's just a good. Uh, I'll tie it up with this. It's a good framework to look at what Dan did. Yeah, with create. So what what he did is he he reverse engineered a business. Yeah, right. He started from a point of I need to make a lot of margin. So what is a product that has a ton of margin? He knew he wanted to be in CPG. Yeah. What's a product that had a ton of margin? Well, gummies, right? They cost nothing to make, basically. So you're looking at a small raw ingredient added to a gummy, and now you have a health and wellness product that you can charge, you know, a significant up upcharge on. Um, and number two is like, you know, what is something that is kind of, you know, not being used effectively towards a specific group. So creatine was not being marketed to women, especially women athletes, and they didn't feel like they had a product that represented them. Yeah. So, you know, he kind of decided to build that for them. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm pumped to do this next part. And this is like our free game section. Again, if getting into this, this is, if you want us to do this for you, comment, leave a review, hit us up at podcast at markingexamine.com. And we're gonna we're gonna plug you into the pod. So, our friend that we talked about at the beginning, Jake. Yeah, he starts this TikTok channel and this uh, or TikTok account, this Instagram account, where he's essentially creating recipes for you that you can do on a date night with your significant other, right? And so he he starts putting out all sorts of like easy at home recipes, things that you could do under fifty dollars. Or he has then he even goes into other things like. Uh, two hour cookies versus two day cookies and like just just giving you game like it's it's nothing but giving you free game on if you want to just make your your kit your cooking experiences better at the house you want to make better food and you want to have a good time with your significant other this is the channel for you yeah so he's pretty new into this this new fame right this new internet personality it's fairly new and so he hasn't like figured out how to make a bunch of money yet. Like he de- he gets brand deals, but he hasn't figured out, you know, how can this be a seven and then eight figure company? Um, I put a lot of time and research into figuring out, okay, how can we blow him up? How right. can we help him build a, a large company? So the first thing I'm thinking about is, Jake, you need to get into long form content. Yeah. Anybody that's, that's owning really the cooking space has, has created their personality through long form content. Right. And so the first thing I'm thinking about is with that, you can expand your ability to monetize drastically. I mean, just either A, from YouTube or B, as soon as you create long form content, you could charge a lot more for being able to have using specific products in your content, like the the ability to monetize. And it, it, it it's like, it's a lot easier to crack the code for short form content than it is long form content. He has the personality for it. He understands what could go viral. He understands what people like tap into all that and go in long form content and then use your short form content to test your long form ideas. Absolutely. So like one of the things that he, uh, he made that did really well was I think it was like two minute cookies versus two hour cookies versus two day cookies. Yeah. You know, that, that would go viral on any platform. hundred percent. But That is a great video to go onto YouTube. Now where I think it gets interesting is where now you partner with somebody like HEB. Right. And HEB is going to sponsor your show and you're going to create a series where you cook a meal for two for under $50. And now like they're, they're providing you one with money to be able to film this show. Two, it's sponsored by 
H-E-B. And it is a great piece of content now that you're becoming a resource of information of, okay, it's Friday. We obviously, we got 50 bucks to spend. We're going to H-E-B. You're telling us what to cook, Jake. Yeah. Like, what or, am I eating? Or, uh, you know, H-E-B for sure. But what about like Instacart? Yes, right? it could I be mean, any. Instacart, yeah. it's like, you know, get the, get the Jake bag, right? Yes. Um, it could be any of these uh, any of these channels. Now, where I think it could go a layer deeper is one, it becomes a month, monthly thing. You know, yeah. after this pops off, it becomes a monthly thing. But where I think it could get really interesting is there's the HEB app. I order shit off the HEB app all the time. I do go to HEB, but it is very convenient to be like, do I want to go spend an hour and a half at the grocery store on a Sunday or do I just want them to deliver it to my house? Right. And so the app has like a bunch of recommendations. If I was on the app, it was just like, get the Jake date night special. Yeah. And it's just added to my cart and, and I buy it. Uh-huh. Imagine that. Like I watch the show and then now it's in the app and you could do this again with Instacart, with who, whichever, sure. and then it's delivered straight to you. Yeah. No, the crazy thing about that, so that, that um, a lot of the gambling sites like DraftKings and FanDuel, yeah. they'll do something similar where it's like bet with yeah. X, right? Like bet with Draymond Green and it's like Draymond's single game like, parlay or like whatever it is. And it's right there on you know the front page of their website whenever a prospective gambler logs in. It's super easy to just select right? Like how do you reduce friction for someone who opens your app to get an outcome that they want? Um, And he's definitely picked an incredible niche of I'm going to be the date night kitchen guy, right? Like that's perfect. Like couples are always looking for ideas about how to do stuff together. That's fun, right? Um, I think, you know, first of all, man, just the man understands a visual hook. Like we got to, we got to put some of these on the screen. He's just always pulling apart a grilled cheese, pulling apart a cookie, like pulling apart a sandwich. If you listen to it with the audio on, he has the best like creator voice. Yeah. Like today I'm going to, like he just nailed that. It's amazing. And so I actually think for him to monetize, I, I think what you just said is, is amazing. Right. And long form is something that there's a playbook for. Yeah. It exists. But if he wants to get at the forefront of what is getting pushed right now by a couple of different platforms, I think he should actually go live. He should do TikTok Live and this new app called Whatnot. Let me tell you why. Whatnot is pushing creators right now on their platform in a way that I've never really seen before. People are basically going to a warehouse and selling blank t-shirts for $15 on Whatnot. Keep in mind, let me explain what Whatnot and TikTok Live shopping are. This is a live stream where the uh, creator holds up a shirt. There's people in the chat room saying if they want it or not. And he's like going once, going twice, and someone can buy it right there on the app. He's like showing them the shirt. Maybe it's a green shirt and someone says, I wanted a green shirt, whatever it is. Like it, it, it just reduces the ability for people to like really make any, it's like a auction almost, yeah. right? And what I think he could do is so he's got this cookbook, yep. which is 24 delicious dinner recipes for two hidden by scratch offs. So it's a fun, interactive activity. You're checking a box every time you got that sense of like gamification yep. where, you know, you're able to obviously like, seems like you're going on your own adventure, right? Um, I think he should look at going live on TikTok. And we just, we just talked about it. He's doing the two minute cookie versus the two hour cookie versus the two hour, two day cookie. He's got these proven content methods. It's also bake it or buy it, right? Should you bake a crumble cookie or should you buy it? And he's got all these proven content methods. So, 
you have this big audience, 560,000 people, try and go live on your show and or try and go live on your account and use one of your proven content ideas to in real time, bake the cookie mm. or bake the two minute cookie, bake the two hour cookie. And the whole time that you're doing this, like obviously it's going to require a lot of charisma and you know entertaining characteristics. You got to really lean into being a creator, but you're going to have people in the chat. They're going to be interacting with you. They're going to be watching just to kind of passively have something on in the background be selling your cookbook during that time period and always just work it in with kind of clever CTAs, right? Like, okay, guys, just finish the two-minute cookie. Uh, by the way, this is an activity that you and your partner can do. All you got to do is just get the, uh, you know, the date night kitchen cookbook and start scratching off today. Just do that like once every 10, 15 minutes. And what it's, it's the arbitrage that we talked about with TikTok shop before. TikTok wants people to shop live yeah. right now. People are going to whatnot this app because they expect to get better deals there than they get anywhere else. That's being subsidized right now by whatnot. Like TikTok Shop is pushing creators' lives to more folks. Like they they are rewarding you for using these frontier features. Yeah. So I would recommend that he tries and takes those proven content methods and makes it a live show and pushes his physical product during that whole time. I think that would crush. I yeah. I, or digital. You know, like yeah. you could have a slimmer version of digital. I think that would perform amazing. I put down a bunch of other um, things that I did research on. So like another one that I'm thinking that he should do is, so I did research on Airbnb and what are their top experiences? What were the 15 top experiences in 2021? Mm. Three of them involved cooking. Really? So one of them was cook Mexican street tacos with a pro chef. Sick. The other one was pastas with grandma. Mm. And then the other one, like this isn't technically cooking, but it's a coffee masterclass, right? It's relative to like food and drinks and beverages. Um, and so my thought is, Jake, you got to start a live cooking class, like bring in the date night kitchen and make it happen somewhere, like rent a studio, bring people in and offer this on a monthly basis where it's expensive. Like everybody wants to cook with their favorite creator, right? That's the benefit of being a creator is like people want to be around you. They want to interact with you. They want to learn from you. Yeah. If you could bring these uh, live cooking classes where they get to make pasta with you or they get to make these two-hour cookies with you. That's a, that's a, just a fun experience. And then guess what? HEB will also sponsor it. Right. So will Hexclad. Yeah. So will any of these big players in there's, the game. They'll, there's a they'll ton wanna... of people that would like to have his audience, yeah. no doubt. And, and then yeah. where I think it gets really interesting is here. This is one vertical, right? Date Night Kitchen is just one vertical. What about Girls Night Kitchen? Mm-hmm. What about Game Night Kitchen? What about Netflix and Chill Kitchen? Yeah. Right? Uh, game Day Kitchen. Like I was going to say Big Game Kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Like there's all of these different things that are other categories and, and verticals that he could go into and have other creators create for. It's his company. And it's more TikTok accounts. It's more IG accounts. It's more cookbooks. And that is a massive business. If he builds this big of a company or like this much of, of an audience, he can make a fortune with affiliates. No doubt. With Hexclad, with juicers and air fryers and like all the tools that you'll use for something like this, you can make a lot of money from affiliates. So that I think inexpensive knife sets, right? Like culinary sets like that. You, there's sure. so much money to be made. And there. All, all of those companies are getting to a point of scale where they do need creators to kind of differentiate yeah. themselves from each other. 100%. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons you could, with Hexcloud, Gordon Ramsay, they are attaching Gordon Ramsay to Hexcloud. Hexcloud right. 
it's a wonderful product, right? It's a great yeah. product. But attaching Gordon Ramsay to it just solidifies it more. It builds that trust. Everybody loves Gordon. They're going to want to use Hexclad. Yeah. And Jake has the potential to do that as well. Right. The there's other also Caraway, Our Place. Like there's a bunch yeah. of different competitors that, yeah. The other one that I think is one that he probably just hasn't thought of and it's so simple as build an email list. Yeah. If you want to go down the route of building a newsletter, sure. I I was trying to think of ideas for a newsletter. Like, I mean, sending out a, a Friday night or a Friday 5 p.m. like this is your date night kitchen of the week could be yeah. kind of fun. Yeah. And I think it's it's easy too. Like it's yeah. you just making it the extra layer of you want to have people within your email list, right? You yeah. want to own you want to own that data. You want to be able to hit one button and hit them all. If you're naming it, is it like I, two names I had was like, let's make dot, dot, dot. And it's a, an exclusive recipe. What do you want to eat? Like, yeah. you know, how, specifically for date night kitchen. It's like, yeah. babe, what do you want to eat? Well, yeah. I don't know. Or just name it. I don't know. Like, yeah, that would yeah. actually be killer. Like name it. I don't know. But anyways, the, the idea is, so when you do have an affiliate program, when you are launch, when you are pushing your cookbook, you want to be using email. For sure. That is what's going to generate the highest ROI here versus trying to have something go viral and then segmenting them or segueing them to um, to your product. So Jake, add other verticals, go live, have a live cooking class, go into long form and then get some affiliate deals, dude. Like yeah. You could yeah. make a fortune by just using specific products and then pushing them slightly. Yeah. And HEB sponsors, man. Yeah. All right, dude. I got nothing else. You? Uh, no, that was awesome. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, yeah, and have a have a good Merry Christmas and ho- Happy Holidays and New Year's. And you're flying back home tomorrow. Yeah, going back to Denver. Nice. Going back got, to the snow. I got a, how many people? I have like seven people at the house right now. Damn. Got mom, dad, grandma, Sedona, four dogs because they yeah. brought their dog and a baby. So it's a packed it's a packed house, dude. But it's nice. nice. It's nice having everybody at the house. But good luck to you, bro. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, you can follow me at Alex Garcia underscore ATX. More importantly, please uh, subscribe to the pod on Spotify, Apple, uh, on YouTube. Please leave a review, um, whether you're actually commenting or just giving us a five star. Just please leave a review. It helps us out. And yeah, uh, follow me at Brian underscore Bloom uh, on IG and Twitter. And again, if you leave a review and you send us a screenshot, we'll do something like this free game segment for yeah. you on the next episode. So look forward to it. We'll see you all then.